This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Tuesday and that means it's time for our crack strategy panel and there are a ton of developments to talk about today. Later, the province will unveil its strategy to cope with the second wave of COVID. This as the daily increase in the numbers continues unabated, as you heard in Bob's news, 478 today, the biggest one day tally since the beginning of May. Also on Wednesday, I guess that's tomorrow, uh, the Liberals are set to unveil the throne speech. So will they be taking this opportunity to totally retool our social safety net? And what do we expect to see in there? And is there any chance for a snap election. That is what's happening in British Columbia. Not exactly the same situation, but still. And I know this will make Charles Byrd especially happy, and that is that we really have to talk about what's going on in the United States today in the wake of the death of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and everything that has transpired since then. So let's get to it. But let's give you the numbers because, of course, we also want to hear from you. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I am joined by John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road, Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group in Toronto, and Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village. Hello and welcome to everyone. Hi, Libby. Hi, Libby. Hello, Libby. Okay, let's begin with Karen and the spike of cases. I mean, you are just getting back to work. Uh, are you making plans for a second wave? What are your thoughts? Well, we're not making plans for a second wave, but I think what is becoming uh, clearer, I think, to the province, to um, businesses like myself, to schools that are opening up, is that uh, we need two kinds of testing. We need a screening test and then we need a diagnostic test. And, you know, right now people are lining up for a diagnostic test and it's creating huge backlogs in our testing, making it very difficult to actually identify who has tested positive for COVID because we're processing so many tests that people are actually using for screening purposes. And, you know, we've heard that kids can't go back to school if they have a runny nose until they get a test. And so that parents are lining up for hours to get a test. But they test negative, and then they can go back to school. But the, the waiting takes a long time. It takes a long time to process the test. And although it was necessary for the schools to be comfortable to have the children come back, really a screening test, and we need something that is easier and uh, more uh, convenient to do uh, either at home or at different locations to help people get on with their lives. Because um, now that things are opening up and businesses are being confronted with people who test positive with covid and then what does that mean for their business? And then schools are worried about uh, cases spreading through, and then they're being extra cautious around what kids can come back to class for those who've opted for 
uh, in-person learning. It's just, it's crushing the system. And at the same time, our cases are going up. Yeah, well, part and part of the reason our cases are going up is because we are testing so many more people. Right. But, and also there's things that people are doing. Like we all, you know, as well, that there are certain activities that are more prone to create the spread of COVID than others. And yet um, we don't, we don't, we don't really have a good way of, of, of helping people manage through all kinds of cases. So we don't have a good way of helping the schools manage a screening process. We don't have a good way of communicating to kids like you can't just go party. And then the kids are lining up to get COVID tests so that they can show that they're negative so they can go party. It's it's actually rational, right? Well, it's, it's like the, the, I was musing John Cavobianco that, you know, what constitutes a wild party has certainly changed in the last few weeks. Absolutely. (laughs) <laughs> it certainly, it certainly has, Libby, and I, I think that um, you know we're hearing from a number of experts whether or not we are truly in a second wave, or or if it's just more of a of a spike in, in numbers based on the fact that we had a very robust Labor Day long weekend uh, and so forth. So I, I do think that we need to uh, we need to sort of you know ensure that 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 safety measures are put in place, and obviously we're going to be hearing from the premier. Uh, shortly with respect to what his thoughts are on, on ensuring that we're clamping down on this. I think the move that he made last week, which was to shorten and reduce the numbers of people that are outdoors and indoors for smart, I thought that was really good. I thought he's always been very keen on ensuring that anything that happens by way of spikes, he'll be listening to health officials and, and, and he's doing that. I agree with, with, with Karen and that is, you know, I, I'm glad to see that more and more people are, are, are taking the tests, hence the lineups. I think that's always a positive thing. Uh, but I do think that there's an infrastructure issue where, you know, not only the, the labs that are producing the results from the tests, but the mechanisms of tests have to continually be uh, be evolving. Yeah, well, the the question is, do we, I mean, we hear about these at-home testing kits. Their reliability is, uh, in it's it's not perfect by any means. Uh, and uh, the, today's announcement is supposed to involve uh, big bucks uh, for testing, except, you know, there there's always a capacity about any kind of tests. I mean, one of the biggest bottlenecks in, say, uh, cancer and things like that are, are uh, biopsies, getting them processed. Uh, Charles, I mean, I don't think that there is actually, there are all kinds of people touting new tests, antibody tests, other kinds of tests, but, you know, there there isn't one that I think passes, really passes the threshold of, of enough accuracy. No, you put your finger right on it, Libby. Um, I mean, when you're tested matters, yeah. um, how early on in after contracting COVID that, you, that you're tested matters a lot. There are false negatives. Um, there were false. There were false positives. Not and very it, it, many false positives, but a lot of false, false negatives. But a lot of false negatives, and that's and that's the bigger problem because people are given the you know the sense that they're fine and that they can go on with business as usual. Um, testing remains a huge problem and one that I know the government is desperate to solve. Um, We've now gone from backlogs in the labs to lineups of six, eight, ten hours yeah. with people trying to get a test, whether it's drive through or walk up. Um, it's going to be very interesting to hear what the premier has to say, because my own sense of it is that 
he really needs to use the bully pulpit of the premier to emphasize with people that they have got to smarten up in terms of their personal conduct. And that is, and you know, not to single out young people, but it's especially true of young people, because the majority of cases that are coming forward now are folks under the age of 40. And, you know, they're putting their parents at risk, they're putting their grandparents at risk. But, you know, it's it's traditionally the time of year when young people would be coming together. And, you know, they've been through this summer of, you know, relative inactivity, and, and they're bursting at the seams. And it is a huge problem. Because well, there, there, there's, there's another issue there. I think that older people have started to shut themselves up in their houses again. And, you know, it was interesting, a, a very interesting question from a a listener, and I haven't had a chance to talk to, I know the province says we're talking to pharmacies, Shoppers Drug Mart, about doing some of the testing, but people are saying, well, would we want to go to the drugstore if we know there are people there lined up to take a test? Well, you know, there's a little bit of thinking in that regard that people who have symptoms would go to a set number of centers, and those that don't have symptoms but who are looking for clearance to visit loved ones would go to the drugstores. And the and so if you could maintain two separate streams, that would be great. Of course, the other thing that, uh, if you can believe it, just yesterday we got a notice from my son's public school saying, lo and behold, there's been a COVID diagnosis. Um, that's one of uh, 153 new cases in Toronto among t- teachers and, and students. And uh, so my wife was at Costco this morning and she reports that there were lineups for toilet paper and for paper towels oh, no. and for disinfectant. Oh, and so it's, it's beginning to feel a little bit like March again, where it, it really feels like people are on edge. Okay, better stock up on the toilet. No, I'm not even going Don't to say it. it. Karen, it. Karen, I know that you, do you still have to get tested every two weeks to see your dad? No, no, my dad had a fall and broke his leg, so he's oh, in no. rehab now. And actually, I'll tell you, Libby, the rules in rehab are so much more humane than they are in retirement homes. They're so much more humane. I can see my dad every day, and I don't have to get tested. And it's um, it, it's unbelievable, actually, what, what we're doing to people and isolating them from their families under the guise of keeping them healthy. It is really unbelievable. Oh, we talk about that uh, usually in other panels, but I'm, yeah. I'm, how, how's he doing? Oh, he's 90, and he's, uh, so it's, it's touch and go, to be candid. But um, he's getting really good care, and he's in a great place. Sorry to hear that. Sorry to hear that. But that's interesting that rehab centers are seem to be managing better. Let's move along to the politics, since that's what you guys are here for. The throne speech. Um, What are you expecting, John Capobianco? Probably everything you could imagine uh, (laughs) is going to be thrown into the throne speech. But I would say, though, that... Um, you know, it's going to be the prime minister has to somehow justify the need for him to prorogue uh, parliament and, and not make it seem as if it was for the wee controversy and, and stopping the committees, as he uh, claims that uh, it wasn't for that reason, that, that it was for a, a sense of new direction and, and uh, new outlook on, on how the country should be governed based on, on COVID. But I think that, so I said, so based on that, I think the expectations for him to come in was something new and something old and, and what, what's going to happen is, is probably going to be the case with, with the throne speech. But I, but I, you know, what happened, you know, every day and every week that goes by, there's something new and, and, and things change with, with COVID. And we're seeing a rise in numbers. We're seeing the anxiety of schools. 
some schools being shut down and, and all that. So I, I think that what the prime minister thought would happen or what, what the situation would be in two weeks ago or three weeks ago when he broke parliament and now has considerably changed. So he's got to be, I think, very mindful of how, you know, um, ambitious he with the throne speech, given the fact that people are now looking at whether or not we are in a second wave or this, the resurgence wave of, of COVID. Uh, and, he, and I think he runs a risk of being tone deaf if he comes in with something that he talks about with the green economy and, and all the things we're hearing in the media that, that are, are being leaked that, that it might be in the throne speech. I think he really has to walk a fine line between making, you know, making Canadians aware that, that he did want and wants to do something new and, and different for, for the economy and fix it and change it, but but yet still be somewhat mindful of the fact that we're not out of this yet and, and being too far ambitious while people are still worrying about, you know, whether or not their jobs are going to be here or businesses are going to be closed over the next little while, I think is going to be uh, an interesting uh, balancing act for them. Uh, Karen, how much more money can he throw at this? We are already deeply, deeply in the hole. Yeah. Uh, do you expect like more in the hundreds of millions? <laughs> I actually think that um, I actually think that John's right, and that there was maybe a bit of a step back from the strategy two weeks ago to the strategy today, and that there is an increasing realization that this is our reality for the next two years, probably at a minimum, and we can't just continue to throw trillions of dollars um, as a way of as a temporary measure because there's there's nothing temporary about the situation. This situation we need to manage this. And the crushing levels of debt that we've taken on over the last six months may have been warranted during that period of time. But moving forward, that's not a way we're going to position ourselves to come out of this strongly whenever that is. But it's not in three months or six months or eight months. As I say, it's probably 24, 36 months. That's what we're planning for as a business. And I think that's what a lot of other businesses are looking to as well. And so for the government to come out with an aggressive spending campaign um, to to, to, to try to you know protect people's incomes and at the expense of trying to figure out how to retool our economy for this, I think will be a big mistake for the government. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charles, I know we had heard uh, that there was a lot of talk about a basic minimum income. Uh, then we're starting to hear, no, that's not going to be in there. And a couple of interesting things that I saw from the conservative leader. He wants, say, the rent subsidy changed uh, so that it's not going through landlords. So where do you think they will end up on the spending well, there was a cabinet retreat um, early last week, and that followed uh, a number of weeks of fairly intensive discussions among federal ministers as to what their priorities were. And they were they were charged basically to bring forward what they felt per their own portfolios would be the best use of, uh, of the taxpayers' dollar going forward. And part of the issue the government faces is that, you know, the while there may be a vague temptation to be transformational, and, and I think John's right that it'd be very easy to get up the noses of a lot of Canadians if there's any sense that the government is looking to redesign government on the basis of the pandemic, there are certain realities out there, which is that the she economy and the fact that, I mean, Karen has spoken many times to the fact that the kids can't just stay home from school. I mean, it's killing our economy. They've got to be in school. And that goes directly to, to child care and elder care and 
you know, what they're going to, what the government is going to have to do about the Canada Emergency Response Benefit. You know, there's going to have to be a significant redesign of employment insurance. There's likely going to be a Canada Recovery Benefit. There's likely going to be a Canada Recovery Sickness Benefit. There's likely going to be a Recovery Caregiving Benefit as well, because these are things that have to happen. Because if they don't, people will be falling through the cracks by the hundreds of thousands. And so that's the challenge facing the government. Then you couple that with the fact that we are currently looking at a $343 billion budget deficit. There's no nice way to put that. The good news is that that is actually we are better off than a lot of countries because Everybody is in the same boat. Everyone has seen their economy largely shut down and governments have been required to support their um, own people to varying degrees of success. And so, um, you know, it's still very, very uncertain, especially given uh, what the fall might look like. And Quebec has already announced that they're into their second wave. Our numbers in Ontario and Toronto, for that matter, are... Uh, very scary. We've got 478 new cases in Ontario overnight. And, you know, at, at our height, we were just above 600 in late April. Um, so it won't be long before we're reaching those numbers again. Well, uh, I am reminded of what my parents used to tell me when I would bring the same boat argument up. <laughs> Uh, you know, a kind of, uh, and and if they went and jumped off the lake, would you do it too? Uh, uh, so uh, let me first of all give the numbers out again uh, in case people want to weigh in on this. What would you like to see in the throne speech? 416 360 toll free 1 866 740 740. And John, does it make any difference that two of the opposition leaders are, are stuck at home having been diagnosed with COVID? Well, I think, I, I, I think the, the talk of an election is probably now gone because of it. <laughs> Um, you know, if, if, if in fact the, pre, the prime minister, you know, had any intentions of, of orchestrating an election, I think it'd be foolish and foolhardy now to do it with, with two of the opposition leaders, unfortunately, uh, testing positive uh, with COVID. But, um, but you know, I, I, I take him at his word when, when he sort of pivoted and basically said, no, this, this is not a, not a time for an election. And, and I don't think uh, there's going to be an election. I, I mentioned on the show a number of times, a couple of a couple of times, where I just didn't believe there would be an election. I think it's always a threat. But given given the numbers are, that are rising, given the fact that you know we're still not seeing any particular um, stability with the schools just as yet, uh, it, it would not be it would not be uh, right to go from to a national. Like you know, in BC, of course, as you know, there's an election, but certainly from a federal perspective. So I, I do think it changes. I. Uh, I would imagine that, you know, the, the, the Bloc Québécois leader uh, testing positive, I think his whole caucus is in isolation. Uh, so that, that changes the dynamic of, of the parliament when uh, when it comes back and how that's going to be seen and, and done, because obviously some of them are going to be in the legislature or in parliament, I would imagine. So um, it does change things considerably. Um, it does put the focus on, on testing. You know, Aaron O'Toole. Uh, was quite quite upset at the fact that he it took him a number of hours to get tested, like everyone uh, else. Mm-hmm. Well, like everyone else, and and you know again, and, and he was testing positive. So those that are waiting for tests who are positive, you know, uh, it, it is it is a scary uh, proposition from that perspective. But at least now we're talking about it a bit more robustly, not just in Ontario but across Canada. I will be on the prime minister to see what he comes back with. with his- we're losing you, John. Better. 
We're losing you. Um, I know somebody who was in line to get tested yesterday, and uh, it was four and a half hours. Um, I'd say that's a long time. And it's also uh, people were worried that, you know, they could get it in the line if they don't have it. It's 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 really a, a kerfuffle there. Well, and as the weather gets turns to get colder, to be you can't be waiting in a four and a half hour lineup if it's zero degrees. Well, yeah, not it's not a very good option. Let's put it that way. Uh, so uh, I think it's probably time to turn to what is going on in the United States Hooray! since we last talked. <laughs> Things have changed completely. (laughs) You know, this is when it comes, you know, you always hear those stories about people who are are dying and how they hung on for the last Christmas or the last something else. And and when it comes to very strong willed people, I'm I'm always surprised when that doesn't happen. I mean, um, my own mother, who was quite a force, uh, she passed away three weeks before her first grandchild was born. And I couldn't believe it. And I sort of couldn't, I could not believe that after hanging in so long, Ruth Bader Ginsburg didn't hang on till the election. But that's, that's neither here nor there, Charles. What, what do you make of what's going no, on? No, I now? mean, it's, it's a very valid point because, you know, it would have been top of mind. Um, if, I mean, frankly, and there's no nice way to put it, she would have been very bound and determined to outlive Donald Trump's presidency. But unfortunately, um, events took a different course. And at the moment, it's it's almost certain that the Republicans have the votes to uh, ram through uh, an appointment of a new justice who undoubtedly will be pro-life and who will be very much committed to, uh, to a conservative agenda. Uh, but there will be a price to be paid. I mean, um, you know, a number of Republican senators have been called out for statements they've raised, made as recently as um, Two years July. Ago. Well, I mean, Lindsey Graham most famously said, yeah. use the tape against me, right? <laughs> I, I get, and um, and so there, a lot of them are being put in a very, very difficult situation. And the Republicans are torn because they they could try to ram it through prior to Election Day on November 3rd, which is not going to be easy, given that there are a certain number of hoops that have to be gone through. Um, But there is a temptation on the part of Republicans to leave it to the lame duck session uh, for the sake of protecting those Republican senators who are in really, really tough fights. And that's predicated on the notion that after Election Day, if, if Trump gets walloped, uh, that Republican senators will be willing to defy uh the vote and essentially vote for this new justice. And so it's a very, very tricky situation for the Republicans. I will say that in terms of the battleground states, Florida, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, North Carolina, Arizona, uh, to mention just a few, um, Biden leads in all of them. And well, that's not the by individual much. state level. Uh, it, the, the, vote, the vote ranges. I mean, Florida is still the big question mark. North Carolina is very tight within the range of error, but places like Michigan and Wisconsin, he's leading by six, seven points. I mean, and that's a pretty big lead. And and the other thing we've seen in the numbers is that um, it, it it doesn't seem to matter what happens. The numbers are very, very flat, and Trump overall is really stuck in a band between forty three and forty five percent. And that will only translate so favorably to the Electoral College. So there's 
he really needs to find something that's going to that's going to shake the numbers and bring people his way. And so far, uh, he has not been all that successful. Okay, I'm, I'm going to take a, a call from Jerry in Toronto before we get the others take on the American situation. Hi, Jerry. Oh, hi. Um, I'm I'm hoping that uh, Prime Minister Trudeau keeps his election promise of increasing the old age pension by 10% for seniors over 75. Uh, for couples, it's okay, but for single seniors over 75, uh, we have a really hard time. You know, like over 100% of the uh, pension pays just the uh, maintenance fee, and then the property tax has to come out of our savings. It's it's really hard to get by. Well, I mean, as far as I understand, that's kind of a, a, a done deal. They just have to implement. I don't know how they weasel out of that. Oh, yeah, it's been, you know, a I, year, and they haven't done it, increased it. Um, uh, Charles or John, I mean, is that a done deal? Yes. Uh, yes. Yep, yeah, pretty much, um, yeah. It, it, he, it, 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 time flies, but the prime minister made that commitment almost exactly a year ago. Yep. And the, the, the problem is that we haven't had a budget since the last election. We may see, um, a mini budget, um, following the throne speech in fairly short order. Um, or because I, I think there has to be some public accounting. Likewise, uh, we could see a budget in very, very early 2021. My guess, and it's strictly a guess, is that uh, it'll be done right then. Uh, and Jerry, the, so- the other thing is um, uh, for the, the transit, um, you know, I, I paid, the, I bought the MetroPass. I have all my cards for over 30 years because I worked for 40 years. And, you know, it would be nice uh, when you're over 75 if you could ride the transit. Uh, for free, just like children, you know. Yeah, well, children. you know what? That's that's not uh, that's not up to Justin Trudeau. We talked to John Tory. No, okay, Jerry. Thank you very much for your call. Thank you. Okay, bye. Okay, so I think the answer to that is yes. They'll get it. When we don't know, uh, but back to the U.S. situation, uh, John. I mean, it's it's amazing. It looked like. Uh, Trump was done for and now a big resurgence and there are conservatives who may who may have been ready to dump him who may vote for him you know just because of this Supreme Court thing and uh, it is increasing the culture wars I mean to me like they're 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 getting ready to uh, you know refight the civil war well it's amazing what what Donald Trump has 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 been able to uh, to do, and 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 quite frankly, how he's been able to energize his base. Uh, you know, and, and Charles alludes to some of the polling numbers, uh, and in some cases, depends if you listen to Fox. You know, uh, Trump is leading in most of those battle stages. Battle states are always tied. If you listen to CNN, he's far behind. But the reality of this is going to come down to uh, who gets the vote out, and it always does. And it's not about popular vote; it's about the various states that are that are with electoral college votes, which is how he beat uh, Hillary Clinton last time. And you know, the one thing that I will never underestimate not not people shouldn't underestimate when it comes to Donald Trump is is his base is so much more energized uh, and has been energized uh, from the from the get-go and and those uh, those voters who will go out and wait in line and do all that they have to do uh, that can make the difference in this election now I, I don't take for I don't you know I obviously Biden and the Democrats have a huge 
incentive to go out and vote this time around. And I would imagine that his base is probably stronger than uh, or more committed than, than Hillary's base, which will make a big difference. But, you know, this Supreme Court, the reason why he's even mentioning this is because, and he's even looking at a justice from Florida, uh, who is, uh, I believe, I believe Cuban or, or um, uh, first generation Cuban American. Yeah. Yeah. From, from Florida. That's all politics. And, and that's in order to shore up what Charles correctly said is a, is a battleground Florida, which could, could make the difference between who becomes president. Uh, Karen, uh, we're basically out of time. So, uh, uh, quickly, um, what do you see going on there? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's too bad. I, I certainly, um, you know, there was that, uh, discussion of whether she should have resigned during the Obama administration and then perhaps prevented this occurrence from happening. But, you know, it was not a guarantee that an Obama pick would be, would sail through either as a nominee. So it's, it's hard and unfortunate. And, you know, Donald Trump, uh, the man aside, he does reflect the tension in the United States about, um, at your point, like the culture wars that are taking place. So it almost doesn't matter um, whether there's someone's elect nominated now or not. Those wars will still exist and continue on past Election Day, which is even more concerning for me to see than who got selected yeah, we we'll get to that in a, in another session. All the uh, you know the uh, the the assault on mail in voting and and all of that. It, it's really uh, quite a scary soup there. But right now we do have to go. Thank you so much, Karen Stintz, John Capobianco, and Charles Bird. Thanks, Libby. Thanks, Libby. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.